you're a grown-up, if you're ready to show up for yourself, then I will help you. We will get you anything you want, but I can't create that recognition for you. Welcome to the HTW Podcast. I'm Zoe Sakudis. And I'm Erica Huss. We're the founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. As industry pioneers, we continue to be fascinated by this rapidly evolving world of wellness. The good, the bad, and the what the fork? We think wellness should feel inclusive, not preachy. So every week, we're having candid conversations with health experts, entrepreneurs, and all-around impressive people we think you should know. We swap tales from the trenches and dive deep into the health topics and practices we're excited about. If you like what you hear, you can thank us by giving us a five-star rating. All five stars are free. And tell a friend because sharing is caring. Put that in your gratitude journal. Bonus. We even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of bringing you real information you can actually use. Think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Shalom. Shalom. <laughs> my not Jewish friend. <laughs> Are you impressed with my Hebrew? Uh, well, it just kind of caught me off guard. But yes, that was, mm. that was uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It means hello. It means goodbye. It means peace. It means peace. It means a lot of good things. Yeah. Um, we just said shalom to our friend Karen. Yes. We just shalomed her out the door. <laughs> she, had, <laughs> she had another great session. We had another great session with Coach, Coach K. Yeah, we um, we brought her back because she's done some TED Talks recently and um, found some great research that she's published some papers on, all having to do with this whole notion of overachievers, mm-hmm. what she likes to call superstars, which I think is a nicer way of putting it. Right, because um, we think, I mean, I think overachiever just sounds so, well, at least when people call themselves overachievers, it right. sounds too arrogant. It's right. like, you know. Like if you call someone else an overachiever, then it sounds almost more like a compliment. But if I say to you, hey, I'm an overachiever, I sound like a D-bag. It's kind of like if you're in a job interview and they're like, tell me some of the some of your weak points or right. whatever things that you don't do so well. Right. Well, one thing I would say I don't really like about myself so much is that I try too hard and I always say yes. So this is your so that this is your <laughs> sort of like, uh, this is your dramatic interpretation of a humble brag. A humble brag, yes. Yeah, which is super annoying. Yeah. Um, but we get to the bottom of it. It's good. It kind of it kind of dovetails nicely into this idea of perfectionism yeah. and how that's kind of just everywhere Toxic. like in our culture, on online, on social media, blah, blah, blah. So it's a big, it's a big problem. It is. And I think understanding a little bit more about how it operates and how it moves through our culture and how to spot signs of it in yourself, because really, even if you spot signs of it in someone you care about, the only person who can actually do the work is is them. So I think starting with where you are and whether you're, you know, focusing too much on some negative self-talk and kicking your own ass and how to kind of translate that into a little bit more of a self-love rather than self-esteem mm. um, is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just always like hearing Coach Karen talk. Yeah, me too. She's very calming, very reassuring. Um, I'm like, I am enough, you know, at the end of every <laughs> every conversation. Um, so thank you, Coach K. And um, all right, guys, enjoy. Take it away. I'm going to take it away and say welcome back 
Karen. We're happy to have you back. Thank you for having me. This is a real privilege. I, I hope that everybody out there is ready for some really good feelings. Some real talk. Some real talk two. and some real good feelings. Yeah. yeah. What did we talk about the first time? I think we did more of an overview we of did. your experience of coaching yeah. both for career and for love and general kind of personal development. We talked about imposter syndrome. That was interesting. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so now we're going to drill down a little bit because you've gotten some incredible research and also done some of your own very... Imp- you did a TED Talk on this very topic. So why don't you take it away and tell us what we're going to... Tell us what we're going to learn today. I mean, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. The truth is I'll always wedge my uh, message in because it's it's kind of like, you know, when you see a really, really good movie and that's all you want to talk about. This week in particular, I only want to talk about the Mr. Rogers movie and we yeah. can just dedicate the time to this. But I love that. I went. I immediately went to the theater to see that movie. By did way. not so, stop crying from the I, beginning the to the end. The whole theater was a bit weepy. I know. I what a like, wonderful movie. It. God, it's, it's, you haven't seen it? No. I'm going to see it this week just with go. my mother. I don't want to talk oh. to you until you see it. Okay. You're going to be verklempt. I, I know. You're going to be very verklempt. I, I watched the documentary. Movie. I watched the documentary on him, um, but I have not seen the Tom Hanks movie yet. Oh, sorry. I was talking about the documentary. Oh, I haven't oh, seen the Tom Hanks movie. The Tom Hanks movie is, is Sorry, verklempt. sorry, sorry. Um, did you grow up watching Mr. Rogers? No. No. I did. But you still I appreciate I had no idea his... who Mr. Rogers is. I'm from Israel. We don't have Mr. Rogers. You have Mr. Rogers. Exactly. We have uh, Mr. Uh, Rubenstein. Mr. <laughs> Rubenstein. <laughs> But we, but but anyone can appreciate a person who has so clearly done so much work that he lives through his values, and it's a it's a wonderful thing to see. Really, that oh. was a, a a very special movie. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. You right. should watch the documentary. I also, of course, will. Yeah. Mr. Rogers, R.I.P. He was a superstar. He was a superstar. He was. Hmm. And speaking of superstars. Now tell us what you want. Now let's talk about a paradox. Sure, let's talk about the superstar paradox. So the last year of my life has been spent kind of understanding what I've been inadvertently doing for the last few years. Many people, when they start to work and and see patterns, start to understand who their audience is and a little bit more about themselves, but also themes naturally emerge. That's for everybody in any industry and any business. And in my business, what started to emerge very quickly was that I was dealing with very intense personalities. This is no coincidence, of course. I am an intense personality or intensely focused personality. And as a result, most of your clients, even when they're very introverted, are focused, hyper-performance type people. But um, I was seeing the same patterns again and again and again. So you really start to see everybody essentially coming to the table with the same set of difficulties and those difficulties also happen to be their strengths. So, but can you describe like what type of person is coming to you? Yeah. And why typically? Usually they're overachievers. Now let's talk about what an overachiever is. An overachiever is defined as somebody who achieves above and beyond the norm. The University of Scranton has just done a a very comprehensive study. Um, That's my hometown. No way. <laughs> way. I did a play in high school at the Scranton Cultural Theater. I know we're not here to talk about that, but... Um... <laughs> then perhaps you should have been in their study. It's, it's uh, Yeah, okay. But what they found was that only 8% of people really do achieve far above and beyond the, the, the norm. That's the same kind of people that finish their New Year's resolutions, for example. Mm-hmm. Very few people actually do, even though 45% of the population does. What they also found was that 32% of the population in general agree with the premise that they are overachievers. 32% of people believe they're overachievers. But only 8% are actually... Only 8% are actually... I was going to say, I feel like I know a lot of people who sort of 
Oh, yeah. Refer to themselves as overachievers. And I'm like, I don't really see the overachieving, but I don't know that I would ever refer to I myself. I would never as refer to myself as I feel like I'm an under But in private, like when you are slacker. speaking in session with people and you say, hey, they're a superstar, I do. I, I, hear, I hear that a lot. And I identify as a superstar or I am a superstar. And I mean, think about the companies that coach. Superstar sounds like a positive word and overachiever to me sounds like a negative Sure. Word. When you well, think of saying that arrogant, about yourself. I think. Yeah. It seems arrogant to it me. It seems arrogant, but in, in the quarters of confidentiality with a coach, it's kind of okay. You're really mm-hmm. only acknowledging your leverage. And I coach companies like, I mean, the nice people at Soros and at, at JP Morgan and at the biggest luxury brands in the world. Like I did a seminar yesterday at Luxottica with the top salespeople and their C-suite. These are people who identify themselves as overachievers or high performance, Mm -hmm. at least within their context. And what's really interesting about that is the superstar paradox is the condition of appearing to have it all, appearing to have that force that really allows you to achieve above and beyond, to check everything off that proverbial checklist that we all have to measure up against the rest of our society, but are internally dissatisfied or unhappy. And that is the superstar paradox. Yeah. I mean, that seems pretty, pretty typical. Yeah. So many overachievers because they're focusing so heavily on the external uh, things and they're not really, you know, taking a deeper look inside. But then of those people who are the ones that admit and cop to those feelings of unhappiness versus the ones who are saying, um, you know, everything's fine. In coaching, which is a confidential situation well, in your in your overall experience in my overall experience and in my experience also as a counselor which i see 500 calls a year a lot this is much more uh, frequent than not and in order to just kind of assess what the situation really was i did a survey that was recently published in the journal of psychology research where we surveyed more than 1200 people mm-hmm. and just asked basic questions are you still and these are people who earn over $250,000 a year and are usually partnered and have other hallmarks of success, such as higher education, for example, because these are commonalities that I find. And I ask very simple questions. Do you still feel jealous of your peers? Mm -hmm. Do you still find that you don't measure up in many ways? Do you feel like an imposter in some situations? And the most basic question at all, are you unhappy? Mm -hmm. And more than 53% overall answered yes to all the questions. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, over half. That's that's a pretty pervasive situation. Yeah, I would think that if they're seeking help or guidance from you, they're they're very aware of the fact that they're unhappy and something's missing or lacking, right? So you would think, but most people who come to coaching are coming to coaching for higher performance, not for support, emotional support. Most people who are coming to coaching are coming to get even better results in their life, and they do. But you I guess start you could doing make- it by starting to see a mirror being held up to you. And that's when you start saying, well, maybe this isn't working so much. Right. I mean, could you make the argument that, okay, they're looking for higher performance, but that suggests that they're sort of looking at their performance and feeling less than or feeling that, you know, they, they need to get a higher level of performance because they're dissatisfied with what they're currently turning out. I'd love to say that because that would make everything make so much sense and be a duh moment. But I'd only discovered this through practice. I never see this uh, overtly or or openly. I've coached three Olympic champions. They're doing just fine. They're fantastically performing. 
And so are most of the C-suite executives that I've had the honor and privilege of, of coaching. So are the entrepreneurs who have exited successful businesses. They know that they're doing great. But about four sessions in, you start asking the real questions. You start okay. really kind of opening up. And that's when it gets interesting. Yeah. I mean, it really does serve to some extent as a therapy session. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I found me. that. Yeah. When I did yeah. career coaching, of course, I'm an underachiever, so I didn't even complete it. <laughs> but I, I quit basically halfway through. I was like, I got you think I'm just like going to go start working on this thing. <laughs> it's like, I don't have time for this. But I, I did find it to be very um, therapeutic. I mean, just talking about a lot of these things, like uh, it wasn't like, how do I climb this ladder? or How do I kind of like, you know, advance to the next position? It was just like, um, you know, talking about like sort of imposter syndrome or those types of things. I mean, yeah. I found it to be just valid. It was like a confidence boosting session at the end of the day. I was like, oh, okay, I need someone to objectively look at me because I'm, because, you know, you're, especially if you work for yourself, it's really hard to understand your capabilities objectively and to see what you can and cannot do or how people perceive you in the, in the workforce. Yes, that's, that's the very, hardest thing. That's the yeah. hardest thing. Um, so for that reason, it was very helpful. And, um, you know, when you go in and you're kind of just like, I don't feel like I'm good at anything or I don't know what I'm good at. I don't actually know what my specialty is or my skill set. That was like, a, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the practical stuff. But I'll tell you what almost anybody listening to this today might relate to. Just again, because I've been doing this for a really long time. And most people do relate to this. There is some degree of overwhelm that everyone is suffering from right now. That. I need to do so much and I only have so much time. Everyone suffers from it. That's yeah, why I'm, think, I'm actually having a panic attack. Right yeah. Now. You know that uh, time management is the number one reason people see coaches to begin with. Mm -hmm. The second reason uh, that most people relate to is a degree of perfectionism. The perfectionism with which we are trying to perfect ourselves, uh, trying to measure up all the time is literally completely disconnecting us from vulnerability and our ability to be nice to ourselves, self-compassion. And that is a key skill that is learned in coaching. Most people come to the table thinking it's a huge asset. Most people think of perfectionism as a humble brag that you say to people, just throw it away when, whenever you are in a job interview. Yes, I'm a perfectionist. Right. Perfectionism is actually a control disorder. It's Ugh, truly a problem. And the humble it's, brag around perfection. I'm just like, well, yes, but it's so fresh. Beyond that, I mean, perfectionism... I think we can safely say that all of us in this room have experienced some battle yes. with it at some point. It's debilitating. I mean, I think it really, it can eat you alive. Mm -hmm. And I think, but how do you... And people pleasing. That's the third one. Yeah. That, that you become very, very physically aware of through the process of coaching. Mm. I and, don't suffer uh, from that, thankfully. Yes. So what are the Good. four, four, so you have like these four things that you've identified, right? Yeah. And this type of person. So... People pleasing is one of them. People pleasing, overwhelm, Being perfectionism. Perfectionism is three. And finally, a lack of, uh, well, the truth is the focus on bottom line instead of the focus on happiness. This is actually the first uh, way that you can like start to understand uh, what an overachiever is really focused on. Most overachievers, and I actually started to stumble on this. Uh, the first uh, co correlation I was making is I use behavioral assessments at the beginning and end of my process. They're called DISC. DISC profile is the most uh, widely used behavioral assessment. It's much more scientifically accurate than Myers-Briggs, which is why I use it. D-I-S-C. It's a behavioral profiling. It's an acronym system. for something? Or yes. Dominance, influence, stability, and compliance. 
dominance, influence, stability. Okay. Most of uh, most overachievers are, are a very unique uh, combination: D, high D, high I, high C, and that's not all of them. But the most interesting thing is we also assess for motivators, and the highest motivators, and the by far overwhelming majority of of uh, overachievers are primarily motivated through individualistic, political, and economical. In other words, they are driven for recognition of their success and they're driven by economic or measurable, tangible results of their success. This makes a lot of sense. If you're coaching an HBS graduate, Harvard Business School graduate, and I coach a lot of people who went to that kind of school, that's what they teach you. They teach you that this is how you measure your success, Mm -hmm. which means that they're not particularly measuring for happiness. They're not particularly measuring whether that fantastic spouse that they have who looks really, really good on Instagram is really conducive to their happiness. It just looks good and it works out and they fulfill their conditions. And then, and I I know that this sounds very harsh, but in many cases, there are a lot of variables that are similar. They're like this. There's an exchange happening in all of your life. Their careers are not particularly fulfilling, Mm -hmm. but they are good at them and they do pay their lifestyle. And that's the trade-off that they've made. And this is how you end up with the superstar paradox because you haven't asked the questions. You've just gone from one thing to the next thing to the next thing because it paid or it, it met your needs for recognition and for economic solubility. But those I, things do bring happiness for at least a moment. For a moment. For that, a moment. But that's not happiness. Yeah, right. That's we can we can at debate most the, pleasure. Yes, it's pleasure. It's yeah. the the joy versus right. happiness conversation. I think yeah. we were just having that yesterday. So what, when you say recognition, it's also not sustainable. Let's right. talk about why why you start to crack open in in the coaching process. What's happening is you come to understand that you've relied all of your life on self esteem. Now, for a lot of people, self esteem confidence is a good thing. You should teach girls self esteem confidence, but it's not. Self esteem depends on two things: on your achievements, your external achievements what you look like, what you have, what you've acquired, what you've accomplished. And number two, how you then take that and rank that versus the rest of your society. Because again, we all have some measuring up to do. We're conditioned that way. Now, there are enormous problems with that because number one, that's really flaky. You're not always going to achieve. Many of us will suffer a bout of chubbiness or a loss, or a failure in life. So your conditions are not always going to be met. And number two, people will not always perceive you as that which you're trying to portray. People are flaky, which means that the second you have a challenge, self-esteem walks right out the door. It deserts you. It abandons you in the moment you need it the most. In stark contrast, Mm self-love, which depends on vulnerability, the big Brene Mm -hmm. Brown Mm -hmm. mantra. No, it's true. Self, it's a really interesting confidence, self-compassion, self-love, self-acceptance is very, very different because it's about being compassionate to yourself, particularly in this moment. And it's about a recognition of your own humanity an understanding that we're all running our own race and that everybody else's race is therefore not particularly relevant to ours. And this is where you really start to climb out of this. Mm-hmm. But how do you, uh, when someone is in that position, I mean, how do you... F- how do you first recognize it and how do you train yourself to sort of flip the script and and think about it in those terms? Because it's, I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. And it, yeah. even having gone through a coaching process, like it doesn't, it doesn't automatically, it's not available to you always. Erica, that's the best question that anybody has ever asked. <laughs> it is. 
And the that reason just gives me a sense of self-esteem and confidence. Well, you are very get welcome. Too attached to that, and don't get too attached to that because that's going to exactly. Um, the reason I gave a TED talk called "You Don't Know What You Don't Know" is because of the biggest phenomenons that are working against us, and that's cognitive entrenchment or confirmation bias. In particular, these are two forms of very. Wait, say very those two things again. Com- cognitive entrenchment or confirmation bias. What is cognitive entrenchment? Entrenchment. Cognitive entrenchment is the phenomenon by which, when you really know a lot particularly, especially if you're related to an industry, let's say you've been a surgeon all your life. Mm -hmm. You have done things a certain way all your life. You are very unlikely, therefore, again, this is backed by research, to pick up new information and new skill as readily as somebody who hasn't been doing it that long. You are literally entrenched in Mm -hmm. your knowledge. Mm -hmm. You are much more rigid. The second is confirmation bias, which is one of the hundreds of recognized cognitive biases. Biases are shortcuts that the brain makes uh, in order to keep you safe and therefore has you constantly looking for information that's kind of shooting you in the foot. Right. Confirmation bias is when we're constantly looking for people who agree with our opinions. Yes, I agree. I <laughs> love people who agree with my yes. opinions. But I'm also very well aware of the fact that I will only learn and I will only grow if I start to be open to the possibility that I'm wrong and I'm not seeing everything. That's what my TED Talk, You Don't Know What You Don't Know, was about. And the first thing that I have to say about that is, to answer your question, the first way that you can know is by challenging what you know, by being open to the experience of coaching and to somebody holding up a mirror and just asking you questions that may probe at the possibility that there's more out there for you. If you believe, however, that you don't need to learn anything new here, that everything is working, you're probably not ready for coaching either. There's not much that we can do. And I really do wish you the best, but anyone who's coachable understands that there's always more to do around here. There's always more to grow from. That humility will take you further. Right. But out of the context of coaching, just just for argument's sake, I mean, if somebody is listening to this yeah. and says, well, this is interesting information, but you know, I don't have whatever, they, they're going to make excuses sure. for why. And you know, not everybody believes that they're going to benefit from coaching. But I think to your point, everybody can benefit from flipping that sense of self-esteem and and self-worth to the notion of self-love and and confidence that you sure. create in yourself but i guess that was that was the question how how do you but how they find that enlightenment yeah. is actually only in two ways the first is by understanding that you're not happy and right. you within yourself know that you can tell the universe a million times, I'm good, every system is fantastic. But if you haven't had sex with your husband in eight years, and if you are constantly forcing yourself to the confines of control, and you don't sleep really well, and you're, you're ridden with anxiety, you suffer from panic attacks. I hear that more often than you'd think. Um, you're not really satisfied with your job. Or uh, the truth is, your systems are not working so well. You're not that financially well off. You're constantly overcompensating. You know the truth. Right. So it's between you and you. There's no judgment here. There's only love. You know the truth. The second way is, may I use a profanity here? <laughs> Do it. But of course, everything. A shitstorm. The Oops. second way is a shitstorm. Yeah. All systems will begin to collapse. This is how it worked for me. You think that I woke up one day and thought, I believe that I'm an overachiever and I suffer from something. No, I thought everything was fine. I'm doing it. I'm killing it. I'm measuring up. I'm checking all the boxes. And then everything came at once. Divorce and the loss of the job and the fire. And mm-hmm. the whole world exploded because I finally started to say, I could use some help around here. I never asked for help before. I never 
thought that I needed help. I always had all the answers. I was always good. And here I was. I needed help. Thank God, because here we are. Right. So and you, so, went, you opted for option B, shitstorm. Shitstorm. And then if you are not in a shitstorm and things do not come tumbling down to the point <clears throat> that you need to actually be vulnerable and ask for help, how does one who's not at that point yet become vulnerable? Mm-hmm. How do you practice vulnerability? Yes, this is a very good question. Or this is a question that I would really like to yeah. <laughs> learn more about. Well, I really like that question. The way to practice vulnerability is first and foremost by understanding that vulnerability is not a weakness. It is a strength. Yes. Everybody accepts this because Brene Brown is very, very popular. Yes. And she has done a tremendous she amount of really wonderful has. research. But it's not about, uh, now, now we want to make it applicable and practical for people. Mm-hmm. What vulnerability is, is the courage to walk as exactly who you are. Not, I am who I am, deal with it. That is the opposite sentiment. but. I am worthy and I am happy even when I fail. And I can be open about my struggles, not in your face about my struggles, but open about my struggles if and when the time is relevant. I'll give you a great example. Michael Phelps, undefeated Mm -hmm. Olympic champion. Really one of the greatest athletes of our time, Mm -hmm. talking about struggles with mental health. Mm -hmm. This is vulnerability. It's very simple. When you start to take that decision, to act from a place that is, sometimes I'm late, sometimes I'm not perfect, sometimes I miss a beat, and you're completely okay with it. You don't mess up everybody's life as a result of it. You don't turn to blame. You don't turn to shame. You really are beginning to practice vulnerability. But how well, do you, and I, that makes total sense to me, but if you are, I think to Zoe's point, a person who is not even at a place where you can admit that. Like, what, what tools do you need to actually try to make that leap and start to say, okay, I think I can maybe try to be a little bit more honest with myself and therefore others around me about sure. where my, my shortcomings lie or just... I, I feel like it's such, a, it's such a huge leap, I think, for some to make. If you have not reach, uh, reached that self-awareness, there is nothing anyone can do until you do. Mm-hmm. Remember what my rabbi always says. If an old lady doesn't want to cross the street, you don't get to drag her. If you are not that's in what a your place, rabbi always says? That's what my rabbi always says. <laughs> what is he trying? Is that sort of like a lead He's a horse basically to, saying, lead a don't horse drag to somebody to a class because you think it's beneficial for you. Right. You have to do the process yourself. Nobody, I always, this is actually a disclaimer on my website. You are a grown up. If you're ready to show up for yourself, then I will help you. We will get you anything you want, but I can't create that recognition for you. Right. I can't create that awareness. What they can, however, what you are starting to tap into is perfectionism. And in, in many cases, perfectionism or, or is manifested in the person as a person who has extraordinarily high standards for themselves. And unfortunately, as a result, unforgiving, mm-hmm. extraordinarily mm-hmm. high standards for other people. If you find yourself being accused of beating other people up, metaphorically speaking, I hope, mm-hmm. and beating yourself up, you may do very well to start practicing vulnerability by at least doing the following. Here it is. Be nice to yourself. Mm-hmm. Literally start talking your- nicely to yourself. Mm-hmm. For example, let's say that you made a fatal mistake because perfectionists, and I'm going to be a little bit cheeky, 
perfectionists beat themselves up for the dumbest little things. Mm-hmm. I mean it in the nicest way. I used to be the way that way too. You missed a workout. You you let down a friend. You didn't mean to let down a friend, but you let down a friend. You somehow managed to wear the exact same outfit as somebody else oh at a party. Oh my God. You burned the potatoes. You burned the potatoes. You, <laughs> Did this just happen, You Erica? didn't show up. Just you you, you talked. You said the wrong thing at an event and somebody next to you was unforgiving and said about something about that, right? Or you said the wrong thing in a, in a meeting. They completely fall to pieces in, in moments like that. If in a moment like that, you can just get into the habit of saying the following. It's okay. Nothing needs to be completely remedied. Nothing is broken. You can try again tomorrow. You can be a little bit nicer to yourself right now. You've pulled yourself out of these things before. You can pull yourself out of it again. If you start doing that for yourself, this is so basic, you will start to climb out. Yeah, I find, yes, that, that's a really good one. And I find that that is the one thing that helps me sort of like just stop dead in my tracks. I'm just like, what? And like stop the inner monologues. Like, you know what? It's okay. So mm-hmm. it's your, you just did X, Y, and Z and it's fine. And like, it's probably going to happen again at some point. Yeah. And it's happened in the past and you got over it. It's totally fine. But there's something, what do you think about? And definitely don't take it out on other people. Yeah, well. Because sometimes if you, if somebody was <laughs> five minutes late and as a result you missed your, I mean, I've actually heard these cases. Yeah. And that's... you heard, you missed your appointment. Do not decide to talk to them in, in harsh tones. I can't believe you did this to me. That is absolutely cruel and it's not taking responsibility for yourself. Be nice to them too. But they made you late. <laughs> I know, but do you want to be married or do you want to be right? Why are you talking to me like <laughs> this just happened yesterday morning when we were going to a school interview for our toddler? And why, why are you looking at I me did like not know that, Zoe. <laughs> but I I'm am kidding. talking to everybody yeah. out there who has uh, at, at some point, unfortunately, just taken this out on somebody else. You figure this out yourself. You can make yourself happy. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And you have to sort of, you have to navigate that through your own mind and yeah. your own self-talk. And it's true. Now, if you can't do that, because a lot of people can't do it and definitely find it cheesy, listen to Heart Talk on Audible by Cleo Wade. She'll tell you how <laughs> wonderful you are and that you can try again tomorrow. And I know that that sounds cheesy AF, but it really does work. It does work. I know. It's sort of like where the, it, your mind will follow. Um, yeah. but right. I think yeah. you, exactly. You set, you set, you put yourself in that mindset already. You repeat it, you repeat it, you repeat it until it becomes ingrained. Think about into what causes system. positive. Why do they have panic attacks? Why do they have anxiety? Why do so many suffer from insomnia? Because they're constantly having this dialogue in their head. Yes. They are beating the crap out of themselves internally. It's like living with a bully in your head. Mm-hmm. And at some point, hopefully, somebody out there is saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to look in the mirror and say, you did great today. It's okay. So just going back to vulnerability for a little bit, because I think it is, you know, you were saying like Brene Brown has had just a huge impact. And I think there is become such a buzzword. And I think we all truly are <clears throat> recognizing it as a very powerful force. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of combating like perfectionism and all of these other things. And we're seeing it reflected on social media so dramatically now. And so it's so interesting to watch this like, obviously, Instagram is all about sort of aesthetic and perfection and, you know, this aspirational image. But then on the flip side, we're seeing this sort of like, you know, wave happening of this, um, I 
kind of think it's some oftentimes oversharing mm. or just kind of opening mm. the kimono and just being like, you know, real IRL, uh, you know, in real life, like this is what really happens behind the scenes. And it's all very, in my mind, I think there are probably some that are being very genuine and and open. And then there's this, this kind of bullshit thing that's happening on social media right now that's like the most irritating to me because it's such curated... Um, vulnerability and it's not authentic and it just seems like you know stop taking a picture of yourself crying like or whatever it you know just like those kind of moments when people Zoe, go I there agree with you. what is going on there well i think first of all that you're extremely perceptive as many humans are because we can smell inauthenticity a mile away yeah what's really happening is they haven't really changed their mindset they've just found a new thing with which to express the force with which they live yeah. you see it's still coming from force it's still coming from assertion. It's not coming from attraction and relaxation. Let me give you an example. What do you think uh, I mean? I can do it and I will do it. Or, yeah, I think I'm on the right track. Let's see how it goes. Now, which version of me is really powerful? The latter. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. The second one. Yeah. Exactly. Most people, when they are in your face, look how vulnerable I am. Look how open I am. It's forced. They are forcing, exactly. If they're not really coming with the intention to serve, the intention to really rise and to serve, like uh, you will see Mr. Rogers do in the movie (laughs) where he receives criticism with real love, with real affection. Thank you for sharing that with me. Genuinely working through uh, what what other people would find very, very difficult to process it's very disingenuous. And what you're still doing is using force. So in many cases, this is very hardwired. Again, people who are motivated for recognition and for economic achievement are usually looking for some form of winning. Uh, Everything is a contest, Mm -hmm. right? And that's very hard to get out of. Again, through coaching or trauma, you pick your your course, you Mm -hmm. will get out of that. But when you start to recognize that we're all in this together and you really are supported you probably won't have that need to show. Well, that's what I was going to say. It feels like a need for validation and recognition, to use your word. And it's so contrived. It's so forced. But then at the same time, I mean, social media is actually a great example, right? Because we say it's the way things work now and I don't like it and you don't like it. And it's unfortunate that this is where we are. But to some degree the attention and the response that you elicit with your social media work does play into your, you know, certain metrics of success for your business or your brand or whatever mm-hmm. it's going to be. So then you're left with in, with this conundrum of like, okay, well, I'm not going to put out anything that's too polished because then it's clearly I'm trying too hard. And then the flip, you know, the opposite extreme is like that picture of myself crying, which is so clearly forced and <laughs> fake know. in the first place. I've heard entire monologues of people crying, sobbing. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, but like making and I think sure that's, that it's that's delivered. Very interesting. To the- that's very interesting. And, and in some cases can be very helpful. Again, remember, there's, you know, there are gateways. So maybe they are serving someone and that's that's okay too. Yeah. Whatever your level is, we're not judging you. We're just saying, if you really want to be free, you will feel free. And freedom just looks different, man. Yeah. I am judging actually a little bit. <laughs> like, well, it's hard not to because you look at it and you're just like, I mean, please. I saw a picture you know? of someone posted on Instagram yesterday. And it's just like another example of this sort of 
gratuitous shot, you know, under the guise of like, okay, so it was a, it was a woman breastfeeding. I believe me, I breastfed two babies. I was breastfed till I was three. Normalize it should be tattooed on my ass. Like I get it. It's nothing more natural and beautiful than like a woman breastfeeding her child. Yeah. But when you take a photo of yourself with your like giant boob out, that is like super sexy and just like, you know, I'm actually doing a posture right now that people can't see, but it was just so, you know, it's like normalize it, but it was just like, no, what you're really trying to communicate right now yeah. is that you want to take a tit shot because you want to get more likes. Because I mean, normalize kind it makes of, no sense. It's, it's nauseating yeah. to me. I, I think that normalize it is a very interesting <laughs> choice here chest. because <laughs> you're talking, again, you're talking about what is naturally intimate. What is naturally it's an intimate, intimate. Right. Exactly. Plot, I mean, right. I, I'm not ha- posting pictures of having sex with Ryan. I think that people should understand that this is part of a normal and healthy relationship, but right. there's absolutely no need right. to share it. So just start asking yourself the questions. If you are, uh, if you are out there listening to this and thinking, huh, I don't know the difference between just really sharing my truth and, um, selling and, it and truly being and selling vulnerable. It. Exactly. It's the selling part that is. Yeah. Um, right. just ask yourself the question. It's very, very easy. Ask yourself, where am I coming from? Am I looking for people's responses? Be honest with yourself. Am I looking for validation? Am I looking for approval? Am I, or am I truly coming to share something that will benefit and be of service to other people? Right. Very, very different questions. I know that many people know the difference. Yeah, this is actually why I'm glad that they are ultimately doing away with the whole like count on Instagram. Oh yeah, are they actually yes, going to do it? Yes, but when will that happen? I know. Well, supposedly they were starting some pilot tests well, like in the last couple have of done weeks. It. Other countries have done yeah. it. I mean, I thought they were doing away with like, you can't like at all, but it's just the actual tally. So it's it not means public. that you yourself still get to see how many you have, but other people don't. So it's, it's, a, it's a bridge halfway there in my opinion. Yeah. But I think that ultimately it, it, it will be somewhat beneficial because then at the very least, you are you know that like others are not judging you based on the number of I don't know the, the amount of engagement you've got. It's never going to be enough. We have to think about the fact that I agree. there are three it's fully never formed be grown-ups enough. in this room I totally agree. who also started using Instagram as fully formed grown-ups. Right. On the suicide hotline that I volunteer with Crisis Text Line, you see little kids, little kids who are getting bullied on Instagram and yeah. really want to kill themselves. I'm mean, actually are suicidal. Yeah because they're being bullied by the comments that they're getting on their feed. And little girls, this is situational bullying. They really, relational bullying, they can't get away from it. They can't, no. And in that sense, I think that the nice powers that be should really think responsibly, hopefully, and beyond profit. And I I totally rise above this. So what would be enough? I mean, not to just get too down the rabbit hole on, you know, Instagram, but I think it's an important, I mean, it's really affecting us and how we feel about ourselves, which is what we're talking about and how we feel about others. Like what would be enough? Is taking away the likes enough? Or do we just need to all get off Instagram? I don't think that, well, when you're talking about grownups, we are self-regulating human beings. All of us are. And yes, we are. Yeah, (laughs) And when we make a decision to bring ourselves powerfully to Instagram. I mm-hmm. share, I use it as a platform for my business. It's more than happy and more than welcome to, to use within your own parameters and also guide your time when it comes to children. And that, by the way, to me, means anyone under the age of 18 who is living at home, if at all possible after that, although I know it's harder, 
read The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. What is you, it called? The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt, who's also a very acclaimed researcher and a wonderful writer like Brene Brown. And you will also, I'm sure, be convinced that social media should be completely off limits. Yeah. Completely Before off the limits. age of 18 yes. or maybe even 25. Yeah, I would say 25. I mean, most of our callers on the suicide are under the age of 25, and we do classify them as children. Yeah. Uh, because they're not fully formed. But I understand, of course, that with financial means, when uh-huh. they start to work, right. they can make their own decisions. That just is what it is. Right. And if we can expect them to vote, we can expect them to do uh, justice on Instagram. Maybe we At shouldn't the same expect time, them to vote. well, that's another question. <laughs> that's another question. Yeah, that's a good point. That's so hard to regulate. So, God, and... Um, and this is to, where superstar paradoxes are formed. In fact, perfectionism is seen today at extremely high rates. I don't know the exact number, but much, much higher rates than ever before. In young... In young people. I mean, I, I can remember vividly having my own battles with this in high school. Oh, and sure. Before social media was even a factor, but it was just real-life media of yeah. the... The, the struggle of, you know, making sure that I, I was doing the thing right, whatever the thing was, whether yeah. it was like trying to be an A student and comparing myself against my friend who was an A plus student or trying to just check all the boxes. And that, I mean, I remember that vividly and couple that with hormonal changes from puberty and it's Truly. very, very dangerous. It's true. And now think about it situationally. And we also had fantastic supermodels that we still saw in magazines. Now imagine mm-hmm. what you're constantly seeing are images of Haley Bieber. Right. And you're 15. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and you live in the middle of no, somewhere else. I know. Well, there you is are... a funny thing. So this is, and I don't, I don't know that I'm noticing this just now, only now because of my age and maybe it existed when I was this age, but I didn't notice it because I was so in it, but I don't think so. There's something weird happening. I think it's because of social media where... Because of Haley Bieber. Because of Haley Bieber. <laughs> yeah. And the Kardashians, everyone else, right? Like the amount of makeup and manicures mm. and hair being done and like eyelashes and like every every teenage girl, even middle school aged mm-hmm. girls are so camera ready. All yeah. the time. All the time. Yeah, it's upsetting. And it did not, it was not that no, way. It was not. When we, right? I'm not making that up. No. I was like, what am I observing here? This is just mind blowing. Like these kids on the train are camera ready. They have false eyelashes on. Like yeah. they're in middle school. And it's just so that if they, they are they get the right on, selfie. Yeah. I mean, I live on Washington Street in New York. Oh, it's God, the most photographed the most- block in yes. the world, according to the New York Times. And I see little girls doing selfies constantly in outfits. I mean, today is freezing. The day that we are recording this is legit freezing. Yeah. And there are ladies in bikinis underneath my house oh. at this time. And I'm, of course, using hyperbole, but they're really very very not well-dressed. Look, at the same time, we're not talking about teenagers, we're talking about superstars. Superstars are fully formed human beings and they have issues the same way that other kids do in Instagram. For example, one of the first minutes that I asked myself this question, why is it that people whose life look so good are so unhappy, was when one of my uh, friends actually told me that he was very reluctant to go to his Harvard Business School reunion because a college chum had told him that if he doesn't make $2 million a year, he shouldn't even bother. Now, this was kind of weird because this guy was really killing it, definitely making low seven figures. Like, I understand it wasn't that arbitrary number, Mm -hmm. but low seven figures. And 
immediately made to feel like he wasn't measuring up with his peers to the point where he was truly battling whether to go or not. A person in self-compassion, this doesn't even cross their mind. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. They just automatically think, I'm sorry you feel this way and I'm still going and I'm going to have a great time at the party. That's upsetting. It is. It is. And I think it's unfortunately so pervasive. Obviously, you see it all the time. Um, and that's why that's why we're here having this conversation. Yeah. So, um, And it's not, not a pop culture subject either. We have definitely seen episodes of sitcoms where people don't want to go to their 20-year high school reunion because X, Y, Z, right? right? So this is definitely something I mean, that people can relate to. There's an entire movie starring two of our favorites. Oh, Romy and Romy Michelle. Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. That was That's a wonderful entirely movie. Entirely what the movie is I about. invented the post-it. Yeah. Yeah. Invented yeah. The post-it. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they were suffering from superstar paradox. They, they were did. definitely suffering from imposter syndrome. Yes. For sure. Um, well, so what are the takeaways here? I mean, obviously beyond doing the great work that comes with coaching or, or doing some sort of program, what can people who might find themselves in this position, maybe they're not ready to make the leap or what can they at least, what can you take away from a conversation like this to at least give you the tools to kind of mm-hmm. check in and, and maybe start your own process a bit? Absolutely. Well, I'll give you a couple. The first, of course, is to get honest with yourself, but that's between you, yourself, and your Rabbi. particular Yes, of course, your <laughs> rabbi or whatever. Whatever is helping you. Many people have a therapist. Many people have yeah. a coach. So just get honest and ask yourself if indeed you are happy. The second thing that you can do is to redefine success. For many people, success is, and, and their goal setting as well, especially as we turn into a new decade, is something quantifiable. And I challenge everybody out there to think of all of the departments of their life in terms of happiness. And ask yourself if you're not happy, Where can you close those gaps? How can you close those gaps? And be proactive about that. There are so many resources out there to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, The third is what we covered here, which is if you are suffering from any form of perfectionism, which you can very, very easily detect if you start beating yourself up for silly little things, or if you really do believe that you have some fatal flaw, or if you really do believe that there is something about you that if anybody knew, they wouldn't love you that Mm -hmm. much. Four, start talking to yourself really kindly and take the time to do the work because you really will feel completely free. And a life worth living is a life in which you feel free, mm-hmm. not in which you look good. Amen. That That's is a treatable, treatable moment. moment for sure. That's true. That's very well it's put. Really and I think it's, you know, I, it's, it's a good reminder to everyone who's got a case of like keeping up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be another, there's always going to be someone who's got nicer clothes, makes more money, is better looking, is like in, you know, better shape. It's just like, it never, it never, it will never end. It will never so, end. Like, and as we God be, willing, continue to age, yeah. it's only going to get worse. Yeah, if that's so what you you're better really on. like your soul yeah. and know your soul. Yeah. Amen. L'chaim. L'chaim. Seriously. L'chaim. Seriously. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I always feel better after having just like listening to you speak I always feel very inspired and clear we're all in this together it's always a pleasure to talk to other people who kind of get it and are interested in this stuff and want to do that that meaningful journey inside thank you I think that's a good place to end I do too thanks Karen this is really fun thanks ladies 
Thanks. Thanks for coming on. A real pleasure. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at hgwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.